you considered the messages your outfits send? What do you think your clothes say about you? See, style is about the clothes, but it's not really about the clothes. Every day you make choices about what you're going to wear, but what are you communicating? Welcome to Above and Beyond Style. I'm your host, Maria DiLorenzo, and in 2019, I founded MFD Style, where I provide a unique, intuitive approach to personal styling for those ready to embrace a more meaningful look. With this podcast, I'll uncover key elements of where spirituality, psychology, and style intersect, revealing how you can make intentional wardrobe choices that reflect who you really are. So let me ask you, are you ready to transform into your authentic self? Then it's time. Come with me on this journey and together we'll take your style above and beyond style. Hey everybody, welcome back to Above and Beyond Style. Again, we're in season four, and this has been already a really cool way for me to kick off this season and to talk to you more about this theme that is just going to take us all throughout the entire season about change. And hopefully you've listened to our first episode because I think that was a really important starting point for you to kind of understand why change is a major motivator, not only for this conversation, but for anybody that is engaging in style work, or if you're even just remotely curious about how to kind of revamp your wardrobe or to really rethink your whole style aesthetic, change is going to be a really key component of that conversation. And if you recall, I brought in Dr. Melissa Carrick, who is joining me this season, and it's been already a very rich an exciting opportunity to partner with her. And I'm excited to welcome her back. So hi, Missy. Welcome back to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Maria. So, so great to be here. Yeah, I love it. It's going to be a great season ahead. And we talked pretty well and, and very thoroughly, I think, in this first conversation about the waves of change and riding the waves of change and kind of this whole concept and the idea around it. And I loved it because you in in particular used a phrase that has been kind of sitting with me since that first conversation around this soul imperative or this ability to really respond to this invitation of change and to change that's in our lives. And you and I talked a little bit about how we're already doing that. And I think one of the most beautiful things that came of that for me um, was just really thinking about the kind of the command that comes out of that. And I think about it not so much as this like dictatorship command, right? Like that you're um, being forced to do something or that it's against your will. But in fact, it's been this sort of concept around change for me when I think about that soul imperative. It's really about responding to the question. And for you and I, I think this has been one of the really, maybe the one of the more exciting components of responding to change and really thinking about how change can impact our lives. So one of the things I thought we could kind of get started with and kind of kick off today's episode, I want to talk about change as a concept and recognizing that I had gotten in through one of my like meditative moments. I felt like I received a message about change is my natural state, which felt like, 
gulp, right? Like I could feel my like throat and and my heart and my throat and could barely really conceptualize what that really meant. Because for most people, I think when you hear about change, it feels like perhaps a temporary circumstance or something that you're like, I'm going to go through this change and then I'm going to come to stability and all shall be well. And then it'll be predictable and lovely. But I got this really clear message that changes your natural state which felt a bit more like it was ongoing or perhaps perpetual for whatever particular period of time that'll be. So I wanted to just talk about that for a few minutes with you about when you hear that phrase, what are your thoughts? What comes to you? What sort of is your response to that sense of like, maybe change isn't this temporary thing, but it perhaps maybe is more ongoing. Oh gosh, I wish that uh, two listeners could kind of see our faces. We're both sort of giggling and wide-eyed at that realization. And there's a couple of things that go through my mind. And one is, you know, hearing so many people, especially wisdom figures in my own life saying, oh, nothing is so constant as change. So we've heard that. But then when you say, oh, this is like a natural state, that means, oh, it's permanent. And it's interesting, like, okay, that's permanent. It's ongoing. It's always all the time, every moment. And as someone who is very intimate with the body in terms of professionally, I immediately go to this like homeostasis idea. And that in homeostasis, it's the constant micro changes that are going on all day long, always within our own body to maintain a proper body temperature, to maintain our focus to maintain um, upright posture. You know, our blood vessels have to dilate and have to constrict every time we change position. So that's one thing. But the other thing that I really, really think about is when I look at the sea and when I look at the ocean, which I often refer to as like the great mother, right? The bigness of all that, it is impossible not to encounter that change is the constant. And anyone who has actually observed the ocean for maybe, I'm going to say more than like 10 minutes, but really more than a half hour and actually like looked and really seen is going to notice that, that it's a constant, constant change of so many different factors. And I even marvel at this, like this weekend, I was looking at the ocean and going, okay, you know, Friday morning, gorgeous, gorgeous waves, like these incredible glassy. And for anyone who doesn't know what that means, it means the ocean is like glass. There's no little ripples on the water. So you have these waves, but they're, they're like just so perfectly formed, no ripples on their surface, really fun to ride as a surfer. That's the most fun. It's got the least amount of bumps essentially. And then looking at, you know, an hour later, based on the tide, the wind, it's starting to get a little texture on the water, some chop. It makes it a little less fun to ride, but still fun. And then there is sometimes a predictable pattern to the change where most places at two o'clock, oftentimes before, depending on where you are, but at least by two o'clock, and especially on the East Coast, two o'clock, the south wind, especially in the heat of the summer, is going to kick up and just blow the heck out of the water. And there's going to be that dramatic change in condition where you're looking at it and going, I can't even believe that there's a wave here. What do you mean? This is not a surfable place, you know, a place that you can surf. Um, and, and so many places are like that where there is a predictable rhythm to change. I remember surfing once in Nicaragua. 
and people telling me, oh, this break is phenomenal. It breaks at mid-tide and mid-tide changes every day. And my husband and I were walking along the beach. We had just arrived. We're looking going, there's no possible way that there is a rideable wave here. And we're watching. And then all of a sudden, literally at mid-tide, exactly mid-tide, we see these waves start to form and we're looking and we see people literally running out of all the little jungle paths with their surfboards under their arms to ride the waves. Like people knew that pattern of change within the ocean, but we don't always know the pattern of change. And then one of the days that we were there, it was super, super windy. So it was a totally different ocean. So constant and sometimes certain patterns, but definitely a lot of other patterns to navigate. I love that you brought that up because there's, um, I'm just imagining the level of change that we're talking about in our own lives, Mm. which is pretty large, like pretty Mm. big scale and recognizing that even within the largest scope of the change, there are like micro changes, Mm. but even in those micro changes, there may be some predictability to help you sort of manage the larger scope of the change, right? And I, for any type A people out there, because still a recovering type A person in many ways, I think anytime I can sort of latch onto a little bit of predictability, there is relief and there is some sort of stability and peace in that. Because again, if you're within any scope of change in your life, there's a lot of things sort of up in the air and are vacillating from any number of directions and finding yourself in the midst of it, which is part of the reason why Missy and I are having this conversation because we're in the change in our personal lives and our professional lives right now. And it's not as if we've come to that homeostasis place where there's, you know, perfect harmony and everything's in balance. And I don't even know if that's achievable, Missy, you'll have to tell me from a medical perspective, but I do feel like there is something to be said about kind of holding on to those micro predictable changes that help you kind of manage the larger scope of it. Mm. Something to think about. For sure. And, you know, as you say that, Maria, I was thinking about um, a note that I had written here that if we're using the metaphor of the ocean, it's something that we can observe is constantly changing, knowing that as cliche as it sounds, the storm will pass or like the tide will always come. There's a certain rhythm with that. But what's interesting is that it's, it's through observing that we notice the change and through observing that we can actually pick up on the patterns. And again, it's, it may sound cliche to say, but um, I use a, I use an app as many surfers do. Right. And when I started surfing, there were no apps, there was no internet to predict. You just knew when the tides were and you watched like, maybe you listened in on the radio for like Noah, the, uh, the official, you know, forecasting, but right now there's all these models that forecast the changes in the oceans, but you're watching the tides, you're watching the swells. And if we're paying attention, we can notice that just like, um, I spent some time overseas, um, in, on an Island near the South Pacific. And there's the celestial navigators that pay attention to the stars and the currents and all of that, all of the, the signs of nature. And I would posit that just as much as, okay, we have these predictable models and these modern things like apps that tell me when the tide and when the, you know, when the tropical storm swell is coming, there's also these things in our lives that we can observe and go, oh, oh, what is, what does my own history tell me? Oh, what are the signs or what's the weather, the weather event that is preceding this change? Because change doesn't just happen 
overnight or we don't arrive at this sudden like aha moment or wait, how did I get here? Even if it may feel like that. Yeah. And I, I think that's such an important point of this whole concept and really the metaphor that we're using this in this particular season around surfing waves change. And for anybody that's listening in, I am not a native surfer. I'm not someone who grew up in that space. This is sort of the concept and the culture and the whole, really this whole metaphor has grabbed my attention in so many ways because it's a bit foreign to me, but it also felt like the perfect way for us to start to unpack what I think this season is ultimately going to be about. So we thought it might be useful, and perhaps this is a little self-serving too, because I'm still learning about surfing and kind of the nature and with the expertise of Missy on on with us, I really wanted to dig in a bit on this metaphor and help me and help you as a listener conceptualize what's happening here when you are surfer. And if you are surfer, I'd love to hear your feedback if you ever want to leave us a comment or a note or send us an email. It's so, so, so great to get that kind of feedback from you, but I thought it would be really useful to maybe have Missy tell us a little bit about this surfing world and some of these aspects of, as she's already started to identify about sort of reading the water, reading the ocean, anticipation, um, learning some of the cues, um, the predictable patterns, if there are some, and just helping us really kind of put ourselves in that space. Because if you're not someone who really understands or knows how to surf or have ever been, or love to just watch people do it, I thought it would be useful for us to kind of dig into this. So Missy, I'm excited to hear this because I know you like so naturally kind of fall into this space, but I thought it might be useful to hear a little bit about, you mentioned in one of our first episodes about you grew up surfing, like from when you were five, like really starting to like, you got sort of enamored by the culture and this, uh, the scent. I remember you talked about the scent of, and so like, really helping us sort of see the evolution of your own self and adapting as a surfer and talking a little bit more about that. And then let's talk about some of these concepts within surfing that I think everybody could really appreciate in the bigger scheme of it. For sure. Yeah. It's, um, so such a rich, rich topic. And many of us have, um, something that serves as a metaphor for our life and surfing is it particularly lends itself to that. Um, yeah, I was really enamored with surfing. My dad was a surfer. My mom surfed a little bit, but my dad was a surfer. And I have that very distinct memory of when I was like, I want to do that. And it was the smell. It was seeing people shoot the pier, which basically means surf underneath the pier. And that was actually in Ocean City, New Jersey, when I saw that. And there was a surf shop called Surfer Supplies. So a shout out to Surfer Supplies um, that my dad had known them for a long time. And my grandparents had a house there. And I remember rolling in the edge of the surf and saying, look, grandma, I'm a part of the ocean to my grandmother. Um, so having a really powerful memory that way. And we also grew up snorkeling and traveling during um, during holidays. So the ocean was something that came naturally to me. Um, I was always boogie boarding and like playing in the ocean and really taking on surfing. I was probably about 11 or so when I really was like, okay, I'm doing this. And I was obsessed like many surfers. It's like bitten by the bug 
and I would practice pop-ups, which is the way of basically standing up on the board. Um, I would practice pop-ups any place I can get. We would go out, my dad had a boat at the time and we would go out on the boat and all I could think about was surfing. And I would like practice my balance, you know, on the boat and we were going over big waves. So I took, um, I surfed any chance I could get. I would surf with my dad a lot and lots of ritual around that in terms of waking up early in the morning. And I was a natural riser. It actually, I think is what kept me out of a lot of trouble because I wanted to wake up early in the mornings to go surf uh, rather than stay up late and have trouble getting up. Um, so really liking that quiet time in the morning and my dad would go with me or my parents would drive me until I got my license. And then I started just going on my own once I got my license and I would leave my house sometimes at four 30 in the morning to make it to where I wanted to surf and to drive and, and check the waves, check the break. Um, Cause there's not always waves and some spots have better waves than others. So that just became in many ways, part of my actual spiritual practice. And I didn't realize that that's what it was until I was older and actually having a husband that surfs. Um, I met my husband surfing. It was actually um, through a surf camp that I worked, where I worked, and he would woo me with food at this surf camp with all sorts of delicious morsels because the camp food was uh, pizza, stromboli, et cetera. So he'd bring me all these fresh morsels. But it was interesting. I went to grad school in New England, and I am not a cold weather kind of girl. And I had always dreamed of going to Costa Rica. I had heard someone talking about just essentially the promised land of Costa Rica and the waves there. And I, it was grad school and maybe it was the fall. And I called my then boyfriend who we'd been together less than six months. And I said, Hey, I'm going to Costa Rica. I got to get out of the cold of Boston. I got to, I got to do it. Do you want to go with me? And so we planned our first ever surf trip. And actually that was probably the first and last trip that I ever planned for us. Uh, he's planned all the rest. So we've traveled tons of places surfing, but he's planned all the rest of them. And we had the most epic trip of waves and just a really, really beautiful time. Um, definitely got to see how we responded as a couple when everything that we had, but our surfboards were stolen, which was actually tremendous. Other surfers talk about the surf community and things working out. Um, other surfers lent us uh, surf wax and sunblock and the hotel put us back to where the housekeeping quarters were. And we just had a, a, a tremendous time. But that was when my world of surfing expand, especially expanded. Um, and looking at that's continued through multiple decades in terms of being a surfer and starting to orient my life. And even now asking the question of, well, I spend regular time at the beach, um, all my weekends and extended period of time. And do I want to live away from something that is such a big part of my life? Um, and that I, that I orient my life around. So our travel orients towards surf and, you know, I'm a working professional and I love what I do, but there's also this other thing in my life that I constantly orient towards and orient my workouts towards. So it's not just a travel schedule. And, you know, in the winter when I'm working, I don't check the surf report every day for waves that I can't surf or where I'm going to have to put on a lot of rubber, meaning a wetsuit for, but I do orient my workouts. I'll train for surfing. We have a trip coming up and I'll do uh, certain exercises and make sure that I'm kind of getting myself mentally and physically ready for that. 
This it's all so fascinating to me because again, um, not having grown up kind of in this space or really being in landlocked Texas my whole life. And so even access to the ocean was sort of very unfamiliar to me. But something you mentioned really early on that I kind of want to go back to about the pop-ups standing up on the board, which <laughs> for someone who is again, new, newer to the concept, right? Like that always felt like stage one, right? Like you got to get up on the board. And that is one of the harder pieces, at least in my scope of, you know, how you take on surfing. And what occurs to me in that, that you're not saying it, but you're sort of implying it. And I would like you to kind of go into this a little bit about like what it takes to be able to do this. And the word that came to me as you were talking about, I was like, wow, that's pretty courageous to like pull your body up against this like pretty major force of nature <laughs> um, and have to be able to like hold your own, right? Kind of hold your center and your core and and really create that balance. So can you talk about that for a minute for us? Oh my gosh, I would love to. Yes, that is one of the hardest things. And it's so interesting because you practice on land so that you can get the basic form of that. And really you're laying on your stomach and you, your abs are the only thing that's really sticking you to the board. And then in a really ballistic move and ballistic meaning like a, a sudden force, essentially you're doing like a burpee to get yourself directly to your feet, but one foot in front of the other. So it's about essentially a really dynamic push up where it is a, a force of nature and maybe courageous because you're doing this on land, but when you're on a board and typically on a board, you actually need to be, sometimes you're what's called dropping into a wave. So that pop-up is while the board is in motion. And sometimes the board may even be angled down towards the ground as you're trying to work with gravity and constantly adapt. So it's one thing to do it on land. It's one thing to do it on a board that's moving. And in many ways it's counterintuitive, but I just, I love this aspect because when you're teaching someone to surf. So I taught le surf lessons. That was my summer job for many years. Um, when you're teaching someone to surf, the instinct of a new surfer is to actually grab a hold of the rails or the edges of the surfboard and hold on and then wait till the board slows down to pop up to their feet. And there's two things that are problematic with that. One, holding onto the edge of the board is actually a bad habit. It's too slow. It takes too much time. You can't actually grip, right? When you grip, it takes longer because you have to move your hands and it's even more a little bit unstable. So you're generating your own instability there instead of trusting and leaning into the, the velocity that's actually creating stability. So number one is, is it takes too much time and it's not instinctive. You're holding onto the edges of the board. So it's slowing down your progress. Number two is it's actually easier to stand up on a board that is moving faster. So as soon as you feel the, the, the surge of the ocean, lifting that board up, lifting the weight, you're waiting for that surge. You need to pop up as soon as you can. And what's really fascinating about that is it seems counterintuitive. So many a new surf will go hang onto the board and then they can't stand up because the board's actually slowing down. It's becoming less stable. So if we're talking about dynamic change and the momentum of dynamic change, it's like being constantly adaptable. And I'll, I'll use the, the phrase that that I love this phrase a mentor of mine used, and it's a professional mentor, but it applies here, is that it takes a loose arm to throw a fastball. And the same thing is true in surfing. It's like, I could probably come up with some better 
way of saying it for surfing, but it's like, you want that speed and momentum. Don't delay when you feel the surge and the energy of that, essentially that change, you've caught the wave. You gotta, you gotta leverage it. You gotta get right on it. Pop up. Yeah. And this is so good because it, it, the correlation of the imagery for me was always about like the tight fisted Mm. concept of like holding on and being able to kind of let go a little bit to allow and see sort of what surfaces or what arises. Right. So that whole concept of like holding on to the edge of the board, because you feel like you're going to create more stability really resonates for anybody. I think that if you've been in the middle of change or you're in the thick of things and you're like, gosh, I'm just trying to find a little bit of solid ground here. Let me just hold my center a little bit tighter it's actually, as you said, counterintuitive, but if you release that in this instance, it allows you to sort of get swept up in a way that allows the momentum to continue. And, and you've said it a couple times just then, Maria, it's so critical. And we've had this ongoing dialogue, but the allowing and the allowing, especially in a world right now that is like we construct everything and we have a plan and we map things out, but the idea of allowing things to unfold, or in this case, allowing the wave to lift you up and allowing, essentially you're responding to the invitation in the moment of that surge of energy that's moving you in a particular direction. And it's non-thinking. So we're in such a culture that prizes thinking. And, and this is a beautiful thing about surfing. I was thinking about this in preparation for our call, that it really is about the non-thinking moment. So you can train your body to be physically strong. You can practice your pop-ups on the land. You can learn the ocean and there's nothing like watching the ocean. You'll gain so much um, like wave knowledge and ability to know what's going on. But really it's that non-thinking allowing that allows, you know, that, that creates the action of riding a wave. And when I'm at my best in the ocean, I can say it is this ultimate, ref- almost reflexive responding. Mm-hmm. So you're responding to the movement of the ocean and there's a dynamism that is between the two. And if you're yeah. thinking it in your head, it doesn't, you, you can't, you get literally stuck, paralyzed, and then it's going to be too late for you to actually catch the wave that is coming towards you. You can't meet it. So it's the art of non-thinking. Yeah. I think for anybody who has been confronted with the potential for change or going into change, the logical, the logical mind really can often step in and tell us like, go do this. This is the right step. Here's, here's what seems right. Here's what everybody else is doing, right? There's a lot of different places where our minds can go that often override the information of the body and the messages of the body. And we're going to talk much, much more about that theme or that concept here. But I'm struck by that because now, of course, I'm always thinking about style and fashion, and we're always kind of trying to weave these things together because for me, I'm thinking about a lot of clients who have made this like logical choice that they're going to go into this, like, I need to really edit my clothes. I want to find my identity through my wardrobe. I want to find some connection through what I'm about to do. And it's a pretty significant change, right? Like I, I don't meet many clients who are looking for like a little tweak or a little bit of something. They're, they're pretty much always looking for some kind of overhaul. So it's a pretty significant change. And I think in the moment then 
they have this sort of logical rationalization about what they're about to go into. And when they're in the flow of this process, this edit, this whole experience that I think I try to provide for my clients, it's really fascinating to watch how that logical mind can kind of just flip off a little bit and they can really get into this process of their bodies and what they're looking for and what they're about. And they can be more responsive to that flow and the allowing concept of like, well, then what does that say about how you want to show up in the world and how your clothes are going to connect to what we're doing here? So I love that you've brought that up, that it's like the mind has to have a role, certainly, but there is so much more at play here when we allow it to be in partnership with our intuition and our bodies and really then learn the language of these two sort of entities that are part of every one of us as a human being. So this the concept of surfing, this is why it's so sparked my attention because I can see that same process of my logical mind is like, oh man, I'm going to hold on tight here. I don't want to get like go under and end up drowning or something, you know, terrible happening. So that concept of like holding on, gripping and allowing then the release of that so that I can then be almost in sync with the momentum of the water and the flow of the ocean to allow me to propel me to do what I need to do. That it feels like the perfect correlation to what we're talking about here. So I am so grateful for that piece of information because I never really thought about it that way. Yeah, that's so amazing. And obviously I have a bias in terms of surfing being the metaphor, at least for me. But what you're really talking about is that when you're working with a client, it's that lived experience that the head can get so far. I know when I share your work with people, sometimes they go, well, oh yeah, yeah, I'm looking for a closet. You know, I need to edit my closet but I have this piece that I only save for Halloween. And then I have, you know, and, and the mind takes hold, but then when you're engaged in the work with you, it's the conversation, not only with you, but the conversation that you create the arena and the space for someone to have that lived experience where it's the, the dynamism or the ongoing dialogue with them. And that's really where like the rubber hits the road. And I think in that particular space, and this is where I I want to kind of, again, pull in this parallel, because I think part of what you're talking about through the wardrobe experience, and I've learned, you know, I've crafted my craft, right? I've learned to be an expert in this space in the same way that you have in your own, that you learn to read some of the signs. You learn to I've heard a lot of the similar messages. I've watched people's body language. I I can interpret a lot of things going on for people without the words necessarily associated with them. And so in this same space, as we're talking about wardrobe and change and anticipation and kind of looking at this scope of things going on here, I find surfing has like, just you're rattling off at any number of times, four or five things that you're sort of paying attention to and sort of monitoring and taking in information about in the surfing experience. Can you tell me a little bit more about some of those things that you're doing or that you're paying attention to specifically? Yeah, for sure. Um, and just stop me too, if any one of these piques your interest. I know we've talked a little bit about different different parts. So one, if you're paddling out, 
you know, so you're paddling out to get to the break. Um, you're paying attention to where to, where to paddle out. And ideally, if you need to constantly be looking at like, okay, I mean, this, even before, I guess, arriving at the break, you're paying attention to what's the wind doing? When is the wind supposed to turn around? Okay, what's the tide doing? Because you don't want to go surfing most places at dead low tide because the waves will literally just drive you into the sand. You don't want to go surfing, depending on the break, um, you don't want to go surfing at high tide because the waves won't actually break. So it'll be a futile time to go out. You're paying attention to the wind. But then when you get to actually paddling out, you're at the ocean's edge and you've got to see, okay, when is when are the waves coming? Because you have to paddle through them. Then you're paying attention to, oh, is there a rip? And you want to look for a rip. And some places this doesn't really matter. You can easily paddle out. But some places you want to look for the rip because the rip can either be your friend or essentially be a huge force that's holding you back. So the idea of, okay, you look for the rip. And I was in a trip, I was at a trip in Costa Rica this May. And it was interesting. The waves were very big and it's about 150 to 200 yard paddle out. So that's a long way to use your body to propel you through breaking waves. And there's no channel like where you're paddling through. So the channel that you can find is actually by identifying where the rip is. And most people think about, oh, you don't want to get caught in a rip current because you won't get out. But as a surfer, you look for that rip and you use it to carry you out through the breaking waves. In this case, the waves were eight to 10 feet on most days. So you're looking and going, okay, I'm paddling out. I'm paddling into the rip. I got to find it so it can literally, um, yeah, carry you or essentially like minimize your energy and minimize the waves that are breaking on you. So if you can find that, you're going to be way more efficient. Essentially, you're getting in flow with the ocean to let it carry you out. Um, and if you don't find the rip in that case, then you're going to get what we call caught inside. And that can happen after the glory of taking a wave where you get caught inside, or it can happen when you're looking to paddle out. And, and we've talked about this term and it's one of the greatest things. It's like, and almost anyone can relate to this. So, because it happens in our lives, unfortunately, where literally you're getting hammered over and over and over again by life events. And it's so unfortunate and we try and avoid it. You try and find the rip, you try and time your paddle out so it doesn't happen. Just like in life, you try and do the right things. You try and take the actions you need to. But this idea of sometimes you're on the inside of where the waves are breaking and it may be too deep. You can't stand. So the waves are just breaking on your head, breaking on your head, breaking on your head. And you're never going to get to the outside. And the beginner mistake would be to, you know, keep trying to paddle and just bear down or grip through it essentially. Like, okay, I'm going to paddle, I'm going to paddle. What I've learned in my evolution, as you asked earlier, as a surfer, is the best thing to do if you're caught inside, which inevitably will happen at some point, is to sit on your board and wait or dangle off the side of your board and hold on to it and just wait. Try and hold your position, but just wait because inevitably there's going to be a break in the sets of waves that are coming towards you and you'll be able to paddle out. So conserve your energy wait for that time and go. And surfing really is a waiting game, even in terms of waiting for the right wave to come to you so that you can reflexively respond to the wave. So 
I hope if you're listening, I hope you're really hearing the larger theme here about this concept of resistance, (laughs) um, conserving your energy, being able to wait in patience for sort of the right moment or, um, there's so much going on there in this concept of trying to sort of like read the signs about the weather, the winds adapting, kind of, you know, doing all the various things that you're doing again in this moment, it doesn't feel to me too prescriptive. It feels very much like I've got to go in and sort of see how this goes and then make these choices and adjust my body or, you know, all these various kind of tweaks then to allow you to move forward again, within the rhythm of the ocean, right? But I particularly am interested in this concept around the resistance and the conserving of your energy where you could paddle, 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 exhaust yourself. And then, then what? Like what happens to your physical body when you have then expelled all this energy and probably gotten nowhere. I don't know what happens physically in this surfing environment. So maybe you could explain that, but the concept of then I've just expelled all this energy and it's gotten me nowhere and perhaps maybe even put me in a dangerous situation. I don't know. I would be curious to know how that impacts in surfing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's an extreme waste of energy and true confessions. I mean, I get angry at that point where I'm like, I'm doing the thing I'm paddling. Oh, you know, like I get really angry because ultimately I feel my own powerlessness, but not in a good way, right? I think that we can all feel powerless to our environment, whatever that is, or whatever's going on in our life. And we can feel powerless in the sense of, okay, I'm not in charge here. There's something greater than me that is in charge and I'm going to lean in and trust that, or I'm going to resist it and try and exert my own will. So physically it exhausts you sometimes getting angry. A lot of times people turn and go in and sometimes that's what you have to do because you are like, I'm not getting out of this. Um, but you also also don't have the energy to paddle to the outside or it can be terrifying because literally you're caught and you can just get wave after wave breaking on your head, tumbling you around. So it's, it's, it can be a dangerous situation for sure, depending on the size of the waves and your skill level. Yeah, this that's kind of what I'm imagining again. And, you know, for again, if you've put yourself in the midst of like rapid change, which is sort of what is happening in the midst of this scenario, I really appreciate what you said about feeling your own powerlessness, because I think as human beings, maybe there's a healthy sense of denial about this, about that, like, we're really in control of everything. <laughs> and maybe that provides a sense of security or safety in places where we've needed it. And it's, you know, sustained us and allowed us to continue as a species. So I I can understand sort of conceptually how that power and control can help propel us. But in this particular instance, particularly when there is in the thick of change, or you've made a choice or a decision for yourself to go into something unknown where you might have to adapt on the fly or make quick decisions, or at least be responsive in some way to whatever's happening in and around you. 
that there is a, there, for me, it feels like the consciousness of like, I'm not in full control here. And that is wildly uncomfortable for most of us to grapple with that sense of like, I don't know how this is going to go. I want to be safe. I don't want to put myself in danger in any way. But I also have to recognize like, I can't anticipate this outcome and I can't even force or push myself to a particular outcome without allowing some sense of like, okay, I got it. I kind of got to get into this in a way that allows me to read the signs, anticipate, make my best choices, you know, change on the fly. Like I'm imagining in this instance of surfing, like you're doing a million different little things all at once to kind of keep yourself stable. Yeah. I never even thought about it this way because it's so instinctive, much like what you do in terms of engaging with style and even like watching like the way your brain thinks when you're going, oh, okay, I'm going to put this outfit together. And this is like, oh, it totally works. And as you were talking, I was thinking about this, like, and thanks for that question too. It's so great. Like what happens in that microcosm moment, if you're caught inside the things that, that came to mind right away is that like, I lose my center and you can be thrown off balance with so many things coming at you, whereas normally you can navigate them. But if you're efforting past a certain point, right, you're resisting, then it's easy to lose the center and be caught in, um, I also want to say like, I call it comparison, right? So like you're, I'm held as like a terrorist hostage of comparing myself. So my husband is kind of a big dude, really strong. I get mad all the time, but he has man muscles, right? He can, he can, he gets caught inside sometimes too, as we all do, whether surfer or in life. But sometimes if I look over and he's like paddling out and is doing just fine, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, are you freaking kidding me? So it's interesting of like maintaining one's own buoyancy and one's own center in the middle of that when you're navigating all those things and some of it is the bodily sense and some of it is reflexive. And there's a certain, there's a certain surrender that comes with like, okay, I'm going to sit on my board. And I would posit Maria, that that's the same type of surrender. That is the creative moment that happens whenever we're going through change, whenever we're shifting or we're pivoting. And when we're pivoting in terms of style, there's like the surrender or the creative moment. And whether that's surrendering to, okay, I'm going to get rid of that uh, particular piece or I love, I mean, personally, right? So I love all those clothes from anthropology and free people. I love those flowy things. They do not. Yeah, that boho. I love that look. It does not work for me. I wish it did. I wish it did. And so I remember in our time together, it was like, uh, okay, yeah. the, that is definitely not me. I'm going to shed any of that. And um, if I may share, I don't think I, I don't think I shared your like description of my style. So if I can share that, that'd be awesome. You know, you, you, you kind of looked at my clothes and we were going through things and we were editing And you were asking me about a particular item and you kind of looked at me and just paused and like watched my face and my body that was not responding to this item that I'd put on. I mentally liked the item. And you actually were like, 
um, you know, my sister, we actually were like, that's a little bit more your sister. That looks like it belongs in your sister's closet. Okay. I can give that to her. And then you looked at me and you were like, listen, let me just be straight with you. Your style is rock and roll with a little bit of glitter, a little bit of sparkle, but it's rock and roll. And I took that in. I could feel my body responding to that. And it was that creative moment of giving something up, giving over and the creative moment of surrender of like, oh, that is me. I don't need to compare to anyone else. I don't need to get off center and get distracted with all the things around me. I don't need to fight that. I may as well freaking own it and go, oh, yeah, this totally is. And I would say if I'm also like essentially coming out about my life right now, I, I recently have realized that I live an unconventional life in many ways. And I've been under the illusion that because I'm a working professional, because I have a successful practice, that I'm conventional, but I'm not in a conventional field, but I'm also not conventional. And it's fine if people are, and that is authentically them, if they live a little bit closer to, I don't know, what what is maybe a more traditional sense, maybe more of a Norman Rockwell type existence. And that is great. And believe me, sometimes I wish, I still wish that I could have that, but to own it and continue to deepen that, like, oh, okay, how do I want to essentially ride this wave of my life? And the flow of when you got close to center Mm. of what is your style there was this sort of like, yeah, right? Like there was this relief, agreeable freedom. Uh, to me, when I see it, particularly with you or with any other client, there's a sort of like acknowledgement. And then there's sort of a like, gosh, isn't that been there all along, but I just haven't seen it, named it. You know, there, so it's like coming into the center there's a sense of relief there. There's something that's very, there's some recognition. And, and I would say a sense of ease, which is like when, okay, you sit on the board and you're waiting out the inside and all the waves coming or you hang off the edge and you're, you're waiting and the, the clearing opens and you that's can, right. you can essentially get to the outside. I would posit though, Maria, that you've understated that in the sense of, for me, it was not just a recognition. It was a full body. Yes. I was like, yeah. So my face was like, couldn't help but smile. There was something about my nervous system that totally relaxed into it. It was the full body. Yes. Of like, oh, these two things clunked into place. This is naturally right. This is flow state. This is the like lived experience spoken head and heart aligned. Yes. And there's no It was just, yes, period. And I think for anyone that is in the thick of any kind of change, now you and I in particular are talking about pretty big changes in our lives that we, we're not on the other side of it yet. We're still in the thick of it. That there's going to be moments of that ease and recognition, perhaps maybe not as big or as, um, not that it wouldn't be bodily felt or that there wouldn't be a yes, but this is sort of where I I really want to remind us and encourage us. And this is why surfing feels like such a great metaphor for me, because there are so many little things that are happening at any given time that are leading us toward the bigger change that we have to sort of lean into and come into agreement with and come into ease with 
that it's all those micro steps that really help guide us into this place of the larger change. And I'm not suggesting larger change is the destination. Like it just stops once you've achieved that. I don't ever think it really stops because circling back to the beginning of change is my natural state. Like this is how it's going to be for my existence. And so, but there's something really comforting. And I think for anyone that has looked at big change in their life and perhaps said like, how the hell am I going to do that? Like that feels so overwhelming, so enormous, so life altering, mind blowing, right? That how do you break that down in a way that feels like, could I even get there? That it's in these small little things that for me, at least, as I'm hearing you talk about this metaphor, I'm like, yeah, it's all the little steps. It's all the little methods and and techniques that you learn to get better at and that you start to really embody that help you then just get up on the board and ride the wave. Like it looks so easy watching someone who has done it a million times and practiced for decades. And for someone like with clothing, they say the same thing for me, right? They come in and they're like, I don't know how I'm going to turn over this entire concept of what I want my style to be because none of these clothes represent what I think is really me. How am I going to get there? It's like, well, it's all in these small incremental recognition of steps that help us get more in it more in alignment and in tune with who we are, what we're about, what we need in the moment, you know, what's calling forth. So anyway, I just, it it feels really important to acknowledge that so much of what we're going to talk about in this podcast together. And as we're using this metaphor about surfing and riding the waves of change and understanding kind of conceptually who we are and what we're about and what we like really need out of our life. And I think that's really at the heart of what you and I are kind of trying to unpack that we have to, these waves are going to come big and small. And so I'm taking away from the, like, if I can get really good at the small waves, maybe the big ones won't feel quite so overwhelming. And as a surfer, that is really, really true. There's sort of this, um, I often hear people say, you know, if you can learn to surf on East Coast slop, meaning you're not surfing perfect waves every single day, so you can surf the choppy stuff, you'll know what to do when it's these big, beautiful, glorious waves because you've trained yourself and constantly like put that knowledge into action in less than ideal conditions and learn to ride anything. And I love riding little waves just as much as big waves. Um, There's a guy, Ben Gravy is a popular YouTuber right now, and he has made a whole career out of riding novelty waves. So he'll even go and surf tidal bores. And he's so incredibly stoked So most of you know what that word means, right? The idea of like stoked, being super, super excited, um, super engaged with even these novelty waves, even even when it's um, riding oil tanker waves in Texas or when it's riding, you know, these little tiny breakers on the bay just to goof around. Um, And it it also harkens to mind. There's there's a snippet of a poem from Henry Wadsworth Longfellow that is such an interesting poem to me. And I turn it over in my head periodically, but 
if it's um wouldst thou wouldst thou so the helmsman answered learn the secrets of the sea only those who brave its danger comprehend its mystery and the idea right being that it's like okay braving the little changes the big changes so that we can actually probe that mystery of what's life have in store for us. I mean, I didn't even cue her, but that was like the most perfect way to wrap up this episode to just allow this space for mystery in the midst of the change. And I think as you are along the ride with us in this concept, everyone, I hope you will start to see all the different ways that change can empower us to do the things that we really need to do. But there is a beautiful part of the unknown <laughs> and not having kind of the clarity and all the answers and sort of what can come up that feels a little magical. It feels a little bit like whimsical and playful. And those are the things that hopefully will start to really help you see in your own life as you're starting to maybe think about change or if you're in the midst of it too with us where we can sustain ourselves in the midst of change because of those little magical mystery moments that, that keep us, keep us hanging in, if you will. Missy, thank you for joining today's episode. It has been such a pleasure to have you as always. It is so mutual. Thank you. And friends, we will uh, catch you again very soon on this uh, next episode of Above and Beyond Style. And until then, be well. so much for listening today. If you enjoyed what you've heard, I would appreciate you taking the time to leave a review on the podcasting platform you're using and share this episode with others who you think might really enjoy these conversations about personal style. For more information all about MFD style services, you can find me on the web at mfdstyle.com on Instagram at MFD underscore style, where I post almost five days a week, or send me an email at Maria at MFDstyle.com. I also have a weekly email I send to subscribers, so I will include the link to that sign up in the show notes. So until next time, friends, remember to love yourself and then love yourself some more. <laughs>